0: Good day, and welcome back to Latin 3 from the Church of St. Agnes. Today we are exploring the grammar in Unit 31 of the Collins book, beginning on page 274. Now the grammar that we have in this particular lesson is really an extension of what we've already been doing, uh, with a couple of minor pieces added. So it's not um, a very difficult chapter in the sense that Uh, It is an extension of that form of the indirect statement that we learned a unit ago. So um, when we talked about indirect statement, this new kind of indirect statement that was introduced a few units ago, we said, remember, that it is introduced by a verb of thinking, knowing, or some sort of sense perception. And the subject of the indirect statement goes into the accusative, the verb goes into the infinitive, and there is no subordinating conjunction like quia or quoniam or quod. So this is, as I've mentioned several times now, the classical form of indirect statement which you will read if you encounter or tr- attempt to read any uh, classical author in Latin. Now, um, when we first learned this, Collins chose in his book only to um, present the present infinitive uh, in the first lesson speaking about this sort of indirect statement. And I mentioned there that there were actually three infinitives, three tenses the infinitive that could be used and will be used in such an indirect statement. And so in unit 31 we see that Collins is introducing the perfect infinitive, both active and passive. And um, I've mentioned this to you before about its formation, but let's go back over it. The perfect active infinitive is formed very simply by going to the third principal part of any verb in any conjugation, dropping the I, adding isse, I-S-S-E, Um, and that is, in fact, the infinitive. So you go to the third principal part, drop the I, and add ise. So you can see there, in section 155, he gives several examples of verbs uh, from all conjugations. Laudavi, laudavisse. Monui, monuisse. Duxi, duxisse. Cepi, cepisse audive, audivise, and so on. Fui, fuise, and so on. So the formation of the perfect active infinitive is quite simple. The perfect passive infinitive is also simple. Um, in, uh, in corresponding fashion, when we form a perfect passive uh, indicative, We go to the fourth principal part and add the verb to be. Well, that's how you form the infinitive in the passive. You go to the fourth principal part and add the infinitive of the verb to be, essay, as a separate word. So the perfect passive infinitive is a two-word compound formed by using essay and the fourth principal part of any verb. Take a look at the examples there, laudatus aum esse. And notice that laudatus aum, because it's fourth principal part, it's a participle, right? Um, it will modify anything that it is uh, connected with. Um, and so that's why you have all the uh, declensional endings laudatus aum and then esse. Monitus aum esse. Ductus aum esse, captus esse, auditus esse, and so on. Okay, so those are your perfect infinitives. We've had the present infinitives. Now we have the perfect infinitives, both active and passive. And getting back to our construction of indirect discourse, our classical form of indirect discourse, remember the subject goes in the accusative without a subordinating conjunction like that in English or quia, quote or quonium in Latin. It goes in the accusative simply, and the infinitive follows. Now, when you use the uh, perfect infinitive, that will show prior time to the main verb. Remember, we said that when you see the present infinitive in indirect statement, That always shows same time, roughly, contemporaneous or simultaneous time to the main verb. The use of the perfect infinitive in Latin will show prior time to the main verb, time before. And again, that is relative depending on the time of the main verb. But it always shows prior time to the main verb. And it's always subordinate clause to main verb that we look at. So, let's take a look at the examples on page 275. Um, The direct statement. We have a present statement. Jesus in synagogue predikavit. Um, We we have the direct statement. Jesus preached in the synagogue. Now we're going to go into indirect discourse, and we're going to use a present main verb. Dequent. They say now that Jesus preached in the synagogue. Yesum in synagogue, praedikavise, visse. Notice, it's the perfect form of the infinitive that you just learned, the isse ending. That shows prior time to the main verb. So the main verb, dikunt, is in the present. They say now that Jesus preached yesterday or last week in the synagogue. So it's showing prior time to the main verb. Now, look what happens when we change the main verb into a past tense. We have the direct statement, Jesus in synagogue predikavit. Okay, same, same makes sense. Now we have the indirect statement, Dixerunt. Now we've changed the main verb to past tense. They said, That Jesus in synagogue predikavit. Notice, the form of the indirect statement remains the same. Praedikavise is the same infinitive, but because the main verb is past, we have to show prior time to that past. And how do we do that in English? We use the past perfect, don't we? Had preached. They said yesterday that Jesus had preached last month in the synagogue. Here's another example. Jesus Traditus est. We have the passive infinitive there. Jesus was betrayed. Now, we make it an indirect statement. Dixerunt, Jesum traditum esse. They said that Jesus had been betrayed. They said yesterday that Jesus had been betrayed last week. It's The betraying is prior time to the main verb of saying. Now, note, When you use the perfect passive infinitive, which is that paraphrastic form with the participle and the verb to be, notice it's traditum esse. Why is it traditum esse? Because yesum is in the accusative singular masculine. That modifies the subject. They said that Jesus, traditum esse, had been betrayed. If we change that sentence and made it mariam, they said that Mary had been betrayed, then, then the Latin would say, Dixerunt Mariam, A M ending, feminine, traditam esse, because it, that participial part of the infinitive has to modify uh, the, the noun that it's going with. So here it's masculine because yesum is masculine singular. If we had Mariam in there or another feminine noun, it would be traditam sa am Okay, so that's pretty pretty simple, I think. Now, what happens if our main verb is in the future? We'll take a look down at the down at the bottom. We still have prior time. Jesus in synagoga predicavit. Jesus in synagogue predicavit. Same statement. Okay, but now make it an indirect statement. De chant, they will say. Yesum in synagoga, Pradicavis say. They will say that Jesus preached in the synagogue. They will say tomorrow that Jesus earlier preached in the synagogue. So all we're saying here is that the perfect infinitive, when used in this form of indirect statement, shows prior time to the main verb. Just as the present infinitive in indirect statement showed, contemporane- shows contemporaneous, or simultaneous, or same time as the main verb. Now you can guess what's going to happen, perhaps in the next unit, because we'll learn a future infinitive, and you can guess that the future infinitive will show subsequent time to the main verb. But we'll get to that later. Collins has chosen to divide this up into three separate units. Um, We could have done it all at once, but this is okay, we're taking it slowly, one at a time. So we had the present infinitive and indirect statement showing same time as the main verb. Now we have the perfect infinitives and indirect statement showing prior time to the main verb. Nothing really new except that concept and the formation of the perfect infinitives active and passive. Okay. So that's really not anything conceptually new. I think that you'll be able to handle that just fine. Just be aware that when you have that perfect infinitive and indirect statement, you need to reflect in your translation prior time or time before the main verb. Okay, on page 276, Collins introduces two rather small pieces of grammar, what he calls the predicate genitive. And he says that the, the, the genitive case can be used as predicate as well as attributive. This construction indicates a trait or action which is characteristic of a certain type of person. Most grammar books, I learned it in most other grammar books, call this the genitive of characteristic because it describes the characteristic of a person. We say this same construction in English all the time, uh, and, and we use what would be the genitive. We say... He is a man of great courage, right? He is a man of great courage. That would be the genitive in Latin showing the characteristic of the man, usually with the verb to be. Let's take a look at the constructions, uh, the examples here that he gives of the genitive of characteristic. Deligere et deum et vicinum est boni Christiani. Deligere. To love, right? There's your subject. The infinitive uses the subject. To love both God and neighbor is literally of a good Christian. We would say to love God and neighbor is characteristic of a good Christian. It's the trait of a good Christian. This is the genitive of characteristic. Take a look at the next one. Petrus erat magne fidei. Peter was understood a man, you could have had Veer there. Uh, he is he was one of great faith. So again, the genitive characteristic. And the same kind of thing in the third example, John was Johannes Erat Episcopalis Ordinis. He was of the episcopal rank. He was belonging of the episcopal rank, episcopal rank. So this is a simple piece of grammar. You don't see it very often in Latin. But it, it it occurs just like it does in English when we say, for instance, he is a man or he is she is a woman of great courage, of great faith, uh, a genitive of characteristic. And then finally, uh, in section one fifty eight, the conditional relative clause. As Collins points out, a relative pronoun or adverb may be used in any conditional construction to express a general condition uh, conditional idea. Um, the relative word replaces the introductory word C. So we call this a relative condition. Um, normally we would have C introducing uh, a condition in Latin, C or Nisi. But you can have uh, a relative, and it, it really is a hidden condition. I think you can see uh, this in action if you take a look at the examples. Quod cumque minimis fe ceris. Mihi facies. Whatever you do, literally, whatever you will have done to the least, mini mis, you will be doing for me. So this is like saying, if you do anything to the least of my brethren, you will do it to me. It's a, it's a future, more vivid condition. Notice we don't have C, but we have a relative, quote, cumque. Whatsoever you will have done to the least, you will do to me. Take a look at the next one, qui vicinum diligit me diligent. He who loves his neighbor loves me. That would be like saying, si vicinum diliget. If he loves his neighbor, he loves me. But instead of the si there, we have a relative qui. Whoever loves his neighbor, he who loves his neighbor loves me. And uh, the last one, quocumque se sequar. To wherever you go, wheresoever you shall go, I will follow. If you will go, in other words, I will follow. The if is replaced by a relative. These won't present any hassle or problem to you when you encounter them in a Latin sentence. So, again, two rather minor pieces of grammar here. Um... The predicate, genitive, as Collins calls it, I like to call it the genitive of characteristic, and I think most grammar books call it the genitive of characteristic, or and also the conditional relative clause. That's the entire grammar of this chapter. So basically we're building on our knowledge of indirect statement with a subject uh, in the accusative and verb in the infinitive, and we have these two smaller pieces of grammar. Uh, once again, you have a full panoply of uh, vocabulary words taking up almost two pages. Um, work on the vocabulary. I realize it's a challenge because it does pile up, but you need to know your words. Um, and um, always read your vocabulary notes. They're always interesting and helpful. Um, Uh, There is an interesting word at the bottom of the page on page 277, in the right-hand column, second from the last, idem, eadem, idem. This is uh, a combination of the word is, ea, id, which you know, uh, meaning this or that or he, she, or it, and the suffix dem. Dem is not declined. It just hangs on there. But idem, aadem, idem is declined. Uh, it used to be, of course, isdem, aadem, idem, and the, the S dropped out and it became idem, aadem, idem. Um, the is, a, id part is declined. The dem stays the same. And it's an important word. It means the same, okay? Um, otherwise, uh, you're okay. And the point is uh you will see if you look on page 278 uh, at the top of the page Collins is explaining the word isdem idem and he says any form of is ending in m the m is assimilated to n so instead of saying a e um dem a e am dem a e or um dem Latin changes it to, to undem. Why does it do that? Well, say that word out loud right now to yourselves there at home. Say eundem. Say it quickly, five times. Eundem, eundem, dem. Now, notice when your lips come together to say the M, dem, then we have to change our position of our mouth from labial to lips, mmm to a dental, dem, right? But if we change that M to an N, now say it, a notice the mouth is in position to say the D. This is called assimilation. Uh, we do that all the time with words. Um, uh, notice the word impossible in English, in, That's in, I-N, possible, right? But we don't say impossible because the N uh, uh, makes, uh, requires us to um, uh, use our our palate and our teeth, N-P, but the P is a labial, right? So we make it an M, impossible, getting in position to say that P. That's called assimilation. And that's as simple as it gets. A good example. That's why it becomes a undem in the accusative rather than a um um-dem. So you'll recognize that when you see it. That's an important word meaning the same. So there you have the grammar for Unit 31. Um, Not very difficult. Building on things we already know with a couple minor uh, new pieces of grammatical construction. and we're getting, uh, we're, we're progressing toward the end of the book. Um, as I mentioned to you before, uh, we don't have much new to learn. So you're really uh, reading Latin uh, in un- unadulterated forms, which is really great. So let's proceed to uh, outline for you what I'd like you to do for your homework for this unit. Um on the drills, uh, let's just do uh, drill number one. The following sentence in drill sentences in drill Roman numeral one, one, two, five, six, and nine. Again, one, two, five, six, and nine. Um, I'm not going to assign anything in number two. I, those sentences aren't really. Um, very instructive. So let's not do any of number two. In number one drills, one, two, five, six, and nine. And now for the exercises, take out your pencil and um, mark these down that I'd like you to do. Exercises, sentence number one, two, five, seven, ten, twelve, thirteen, sixteen, seventeen, 19, 21, 23, 24, 30, 34, 38, 39, 41, 43, 45, 46, and 47. One more time, I'll run through those. one, two, five, seven, ten, twelve, thirteen, sixteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty-one. 7, 10, 12, 13, 16, 17, 19, 21, 23, 24, 30, 34, 38, 39, 41, 43, 45, 46, 47. Um, of course, you're always free to do the others. Um, I go through and I try to find the ones that I think are most illustrative of what we've been doing and also those that uh, don't suffer um. From uh, entirely from being out of context. Some of these sentences, as we've encountered, as you know, uh, Collins includes them, and they're totally out of context, and they're, they're very difficult to uh, negotiate without knowing what's been going on or what's to follow and so on and so forth. So I try to pick the ones that are most understandable um, as an individual sentence, which is what we have here. Um, and for our reading, I'd like you to continue on with number two. This continues the story of the expulsion of the devils at Gerasa, or Gerasa. And um, it's the end of the story of what we began in the last unit um, with, the, uh, with Jesus expelling the, the demons uh, in, in this uh, city there. So let's continue on with that reading, number two, in uh, from the chapter Mark. I'm sorry, the Gospel of Mark, chapter five. So that will do it for our um, for our lesson this time. It's a rather brief lesson, as I said, not building on uh, or building on what we've done in the past, and not introducing too much that's new. That will be the same um, as we go forward in our last four lessons or so. Um, so until next time, uh, I will be coming back to you with another, uh, audio recording for these exercises and homework for, uh, unit number 31. And until that time, I wish you all the best, have a great day, and study your Latin. Take care. Bye-bye.